Heck yeah. All righty. You guys hear me, right? You sound crystal clear. Yeah. Awesome. We good. We good on our end? Everybody good? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So this is episode 176, and we're talking Universal Monsters, right? Universal Monsters. All right, that's the topic. <laughs> and now we got another band in your eye, and it's okay. We're just going to... It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. We're going to fight through this one. You can change my name to Scar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he fought him living under a bridge. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Adjust the Mic podcast, uh, episode 176. This is uh, September 11th. Uh, 2023, a uh, hat tip to the day. Um, with us, we have a historian, uh, musician, uh, man of many wonders, <laughs> uh, Mr. Che. Thank you. Thank How's you, going there, brother? Pretty good. Uh, Mondays are always tough. Yeah, who'd you bring with you over here? We got uh, uh, Thaddeus Maximus. Mealtide greetings. Hello, hello. Uh, do you have any warm-ups? Do you have any uh, little voice warm-ups you want to do for us? Walrus. 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 Uh, thanks, guys. Monday um, around 6 p.m. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you came with a topic, man, and I want to talk about it. Uh, the, the Universal's Monsters. Yeah. So cool. uh, what's uh, what brings you? Well, Every like uh, to me, it's like a tradition. Every time the well, October's right around the corner, we have like, yeah, yeah. like oh, today's the eleventh, so um, twenty days exactly till the first of October, and that's when I start. Like, doesn't matter what uh, what shows are on on my apps or through my DVD collection. I always watch horror movies, but I always every week I dedicate like a week into what rewatching the the classics, uh, yeah. Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Heck yeah. Uh, um, T, are you a horror guy? Big time. Yeah. yeah, big time. I used to like I was suckled on them movies when I was a kid. Heck yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, what's the one? What's the one that dr- that got you hooked from the very beginning? Uh, the Universal's Monsters, or the? Yeah. Um, I'll have to say, is it? The thing is, I was first interested in the in the monsters from you know television interpretations and um, and actually the books like the actual uh, Frankenstein novel and Dracula, mm-hmm. and I found that they made movies of them. It was uh, my uncle for my birthday. He brought me. Um, the VHS tapes of the Monsters collection. Yeah. And that got me hooked on, uh, I was, first I was scared, but I found out that these are 19, these 1930s movies are. I was say, Bela Lugosi's Dracula can be scary if like, if you watch it in the right climate, like I'm talking about, like r- watching it like at in night. In a basement. In the, in, yeah, in pure like, darkness. Pure darkness. <laughs> With an actual werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was, um, the thing is like, um, the, the scariest Dracula I've ever seen um, is the uh, Gary Oldman one, the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula. Okay. That was the scariest one. It was the music, though. The music was what made it scary. It was an impressive score. Well, wasn't it? What, it was like, what, early 1920s or something when, like, the first, was it, I don't know if it was, was that Frankenstein? Oh, um, 1920s, uh, F.W. Murnau, the German filmmaker, made Nosferatu. Okay. That's the first vampire movie. Okay, and... and- when these movies first started coming out, like I was before, like he gave me a total uh, heads up on uh, on the topic, so I, I kind of watched a couple of YouTube videos. 
to act like I'm a professional here and know He's what I'm expert. talking about. So now I'm, you know, an expert <laughs> on the subject. And uh, there, there was a, a YouTube video that I watched <laughs> where uh, they were talking about how the first time, like the 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 reference or the categor- categorization of horror, calling something a horror, was very highly debated against. Oh yeah, like Christians and you know people that were against uh uh you know the scary stuff that's not uh from them like you're making stuff up you know over here and you're just like trying to scare and and, like you know put this fear so like the first movie that this guy had to come out (laughs) and pretty much like give a disclaimer uh for for you know at first oh yes you're um uh thinking of the uh the the, the first uh the first frankenstein movie yeah the guy who played um he placed the guy who came out um uh not not i don't, don't want to make the mistake i think it was the same guy who played van helsing and the uh, the bell Lugosi dracula um but some guy came came out of the curtain and he says the film they're about to see is very disturbing it was very scary yeah so you've been exactly warned. yeah uh, that was it <laughs> and I remember, I remember when that, and I was like, "Oh, I'm about to see something else." Like kid, like I gotta see something really. Yeah. Like, and then after, after I watched it, there were some spooky scenes. Or the director, um, the director for Frankenstein, uh, James Whale, I think, uh, or okay. I think he's the uh, director. He uh, he did a really good job uh, filming the scene, scary, specifically the suspense. In Frank, the first Frankenstein movie with Boris Karloff, mm-hmm. it was to me it was the suspense which made the movie good. He didn't even have to use like suspenseful music. He had to, it's just all the silence. You can um, I'll give you like an example. Like this guy was trying to destroy the creature, disassemble him, and the creature was not dead. And um, you have the creature's hand suddenly moving. The cameras only focus on the hand, and the doctor doesn't know that the hand is moving. And just that right there. Uh, the, um, <clears throat> the the dramatic irony, something that the audience knows, but the characters don't. Gotcha. And yeah. that was to me that to me, that's what made the Frankenstein movie like other than the, the makeup and all. And the um, and there was it was uh, there was a big uh, uh, departure from the novel by Mary Shelley. But to me, it was a suspense in Frankenstein that really made it. Uh, yeah. Well, that and that Frankenstein kind of didn't that create like a, a like a a platform, like a, a a ground base and infrastructure on making different and new yeah. horror movies. So that, that all of a sudden uh, they're like, okay, it was all like the shadowing, like how to how to take a video camera and make a shadowing and get all of these special effects that back then with a black and white camera, you're extremely limited. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Technology, the whole nine yards. So it's a lot of propish, you know, like they were talking about the hunchback of Notre Dame mm-hmm. and, and him, like, you know, the guy that had to be in that costume for all that time and and, and then do his own stunts. Like he's hanging from rock oh, structures on the yeah. outside of, you know, the buildings and all these people are cheering and you had to wear that for 10, 12, 14 hours. Is that no. is that the um, talk, is was it a, um, a silent hunchback in Notre Dame? I think so. Yes, it was. Um, 
Lon Chaney Sr., who's the father of the guy who was the original Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr., okay. yeah, he was yeah, a yeah. master makeup artist. He, he did the makeup himself, I understand, and yep. he played Quasimodo yep. in a silent version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Exactly. And yeah, he, um, yeah, you're right. Like, he, he did his own stunts. It, it was, it's amazing. Like, I mean, T, have you ever done your own stunts, man? Yes, I wiped out a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Me and Kyle Mallory on the bikes, Garden oh, Street, yeah. wiping out into the medium. Okay. Yep. Any any like crowd surfing? I did a for real wipe out <laughs> during a Christmas parade on Garden Street one time. I tried to <laughs> hop up on a little medium and it's like sixth grade and everybody was lined up there and I just did the full like six million dollar man Came thing. On. <laughs> it was great. Six yeah. million dollar man. <laughs> yeah. Did you have like a favorite horror that you uh had grown up? Yeah, I was really, I mean, from being super young, it was, the effect was from the creature of the Black Lagoon, because okay. I, I thought it was over in a lake, in a park near Mohican and Hopi in Melbourne, uh-huh. but the I think that series of movies, The Fly, dude. but but I stayed up and the watched fly. all these Universal movies when I was a kid, I, I would stay up and watch them, you know, all the time. I mean, they were great, they really were, I, I didn't stay up and watch them. I, I remember I had a black and white TV with VHF and UHF. <laughs> and if I could get even one channel to work, it was either during the holidays for like Snoopy or something. Or there was one channel that I swear porn noises came out of it. Came out, like you hear, <laughs> you know, so you're like, ooh, what is this? And it's all this black and white and stuff. And you're like, ah, these arms to work. And it Almost. just never would work. <laughs> That's the strangest white noise I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as you know, um, um, oh, you're you, back to ball throwing again, by the way. Yeah, yeah right. ball throwing detail. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Blues just said, I'm just gonna sit on his lap. <laughs> no, no. Never mind, it all throwing the ball. Yeah, that's yeah I, get, I got a question for you guys. Yeah, when we say Universal Monsters, like, didn't Chucky, like, he was you know, on Universal's deal, but but really, are we talking about the classics right up to like. To like the last invisible man kind of deal. I would say through the um, beginning from uh, late 1920s to through the golden age of Hollywood 1940s. Okay. Um, there were some. There were horror movies in the 1950s, but you know the 1950s. I think that's when um, you have uh, you know. Is that when your Twilight Zone and stuff is coming on? Yeah, I think so. Um, but you also had um, you remember the movie uh, Ed Wood. The, yeah, uh, oh, he made Plan Nine from Outer yeah. Space, and to him, that was like his homage to the type of horror movies that he liked uh, about aliens and zombies and vampires. Yeah, it didn't fit. <laughs> it, uh, you know, he it was one of the worst movies ever made. But I think that was in the 1950s. Uh, okay. That movie, but I would say like. When, we th- when I think of Universal's monsters, I think of the classics of Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Invisible Man, Phantom of the Opera, and The Mummy. Mummy. Yeah. I remember seeing Phantom of the Opera in middle school in Kentucky. And it was the first, like, like a theater, right? And it was like the square box uh, theater. Like, you're like, everybody's in a circle around this theater, uh, or around this stage. And it was so cool during Phantom of the Opera because this stage was like moving around, opening up, and people were coming out of the, you know, then uh, the op, the Phantom dudes being up on the up high and coming down real 
can go underneath and you could hear all these stairs underneath. It was so cool the way that uh, they took a, a small little theater and a small little stage and packed five, six hundred people in there and, and get that kind of a, a, a show to get. It was really cool. It wasn't until like, you know, Circus of Light where you really step up, but it was just such a performance, you know, and cool. it's all those and they're all remakes of these old. You know, Universal Monsters. You all know, the, the it, backstage stuff, the pulleys and all the... It creates everything for uh, creating a, a, a story for people to latch on to or for somebody to create, be more creative in their writing, to tell a love story like Beauty and the Beast and all these other types of, of things that draw from the creature and the, and the, the horror and the scary, like your fears you know, playing off of your fears, it, 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 it brought like a whole nother spectrum of movies for everybody to watch other than just your basics from creation. Yeah. Really cool. That's what I love about the theater because um, in cinema, it can bring a lot of imagination to life, especially with today's technology, with yeah. CGI and whatnot. And, and you're bring, then you're bringing, you know, then you bring in people like Stan Lee and all these other people that, you know, even had comics before him. You know that coming out and and really uh, uh, being able to write in a short story form, a lot of these, all of these, you know, uh, Universal uh, monsters were all comic books in one way or another as well, and they're all highly collectible and can be found. And you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And and, and it just man, it just kind of uh, all plays together in this big thing of people love creativity. And that's the thing, and, and that's what the uh, the best thing about the creativity is that. In the theater, like in a, on a stage theater, you can. It's uh, it's uh, it's more of it's a it's a more realistic uh, interpretation. Um, okay, again, you have you can have amazing effects on a cinema screen, but on the stage, yeah, you can you can put your your arts and crafts together to bring some sort of universe from the stage outward for the audience. To see, and the more impressive the direction and the acting is, the more they're captivated, the more they actually see themselves as spectators of another world. Mm -hmm. The concept that the stage is another place and you're just mere uh, audiences of yeah. it. Sometimes I go to the Orlando Shakespeare Center and I watch uh, the last play I saw was in February. I went to see Henry V. Mm. Um, and um, you know, if a person wasn't impressed, if they were not impressed by it, they'd just see a bunch of guys in medieval outfits uh, attacking each other with swords. Um, whereas, if but if you were really captivated he's every weekend, man, he's <laughs> at every weekend. But but if you were to play, uh, but if you were captivated by it, you'd be like, oh, I'm watching the Battle of Ashencourt. Yeah, I see it's a stage; it's not the real battle, but I can just feel that what's going through. Dad, get down from now. <laughs> You're not part of this. <laughs> but in the fact, and, and one of the coolest things, I always wanted to watch a horror play and to come full yeah. circle on that. Um, you guys seen the movie or read the book, um, The Woman in Black? No. It's, uh, it's, uh, I saw the movies with Daniel Radcliffe and okay. uh, really, they did a really good job about it. But they even brought that What's story. What's it called again? Uh, the Woman in Black. Okay. I think they made a sequel of it, um, but 
they actually made a stage version of it. And I really want to see the stage version. I've never seen a horror story told in play form. I, I saw when I was a kid, I saw uh, in Sanford uh, an interpretation of Edgar Allan Poe's uh, The Telltale Heart. Uh, my high school did um, did a um, did a play performance of the Raven and um, I might have seen this the Mask of the Red Death, but again I want to I've never seen a play um, like some like professional actress bringing forth uh, a ghost story. Yep, that's it. The Woman in Black. Right there. I think I've seen that movie. Uh, I watch a lot of movies. When- you brought up a, a movie, uh, The Fly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, what's the guy that uh, led that? Back the, in the day? or Yeah, or? the old school one. He's the man, dude. The one before that is the one that T got hooked with. But I, I like that one, too. Uh, the guy from Jurassic Park. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum. Oh, okay, see? <laughs> this goes to show how old T is and how old Scott is. <laughs> Yeah. Scott goes, you know, the old school guy, like the the, the, the OG guy from the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm from the 40s well, over here. If, if I can just jump in real quick. Uh, uh, you, t- uh, t- you said um, there are there are two flies. The, the one with the David Cronenberg fly, the one with Jeff Goldblum. Uh, uh, it's um, not, like there's a there's an original fly. That from, helped me in the spider web thing. Uh, yeah, it, that's what helped me the, that's from the, the 1950s. One, yeah, we had the big fly head. <laughs> yeah, that was with uh, Vincent Price, oh, and yeah. um, the the main character he he he's better known from the show. Um, you guys ever seen a Journey to the Bottom of the Sea or Voyage yes. to the Bottom? Yes. He plays the second to Richard Basehart. This guy. Yeah, this guy. Yeah, I think. Uh, and there's Vincent. He's a, Vincent Price plays the guy's brother. And that's a cool, dude. That, it looks like you designed that. <laughs> that DVD cover. Hey, the beginning of that right? Michael Jackson song, yeah. uh, Vincent Price, right? Yeah. Thriller. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I like that. That's so awesome. Uh, the, um, and there was Curse of the Fly. I think they teleport a big blob of people mixed together with and had to hatchet it. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, in the fifties, I could not imagine. <laughs> I think they kind. Of, I think they did. They like they both getting raided. One guy in New York and one guy in England, maybe. And they're like, I don't want this here. And they're, <laughs> something like that it probably didn't happen like that uh, it well, reads we well. don't tech, right? no no but it's speculative in, <laughs> yeah speculative. in terms of captivating the atmosphere of horror David Cronenberg's The Fly is the the more the most horrific one but the original Fly is more of a mystery and a drama Brundle Fly yeah yeah and like in the end when they discovered the, the guy's head is attached to the small fly and he's in the spider web and- okay yeah let's let's tear that apart though because now you know you're walking around with like 500 different sets of genes in you anyway so fly <laughs> fly, fly right? yeah he was the cool fly man he went into that machine yeah and then yeah. It, David uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum he did a really good job in that movie he did man it was awesome and what's her name again uh, that's Gina Davis De- yeah Gina Davis yeah I remember listening to The Fix a lot when that movie yeah. came out Cutthroat Island my favorite movie with her, I'm just sidestep, was Ecstasy, uh, A League of Their Own. Okay. Oh, that was a good movie, yes. W- wasn't Tom Hanks their coach, right? Mm-hmm. The reluctant coach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was such a good movie. I love uh, uh, my favorite Gina. I'll have to say either the Cutthroat Island or the Accidental Tourist. Okay. It was good in both. Yeah. Um, 
So the fly was so good. And then there was Lord of the Flies. <laughs> William Golding. And I loved that one, too. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what, like, when you're kids, like, that was what you thought back when you are young, man. You're like, if we ruled, you know, if we made all the rules, we'd do it this way. And that was pretty, pretty gnarly. It was. Uh, the I remember book- reading that. <clears throat> Sorry, hold on a second. <clears throat> Uh, I read that book in the eighth grade, and um, the um, I watched both movie adaptations. There's one in the nineties, I think, or eighties, uh, and the other one um, saw the nineteen sixties interpretation. They're pretty good, but man, the William Goldie does a great job just putting you in the scene of this, you know, frightening scenario where you know you have children who are become yeah. tribal. And you know, this is no longer a game. They're really out for blood if yeah. you piss them off. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever happened. I wish they would have. Um, some of the scarier people that I've ever known were the Klopex. Klopex. You know the Klopex? They never made a movie about the Klopex uh, directly like I feel like they should have. But they were probably the, the most fearsome family that I ever witnessed on television. Don't know who they are. Are they real? The Klopex? Is it fiction? I think they're real. It rings a bell. Do you know who the Klopex are? It's a trivia. I'm kind of. I heard of it. I heard of something similar to this word Klopex. The name Klopex people. I don't know. These pecks of Klo. They look different. Let's uh. Let me just type in the Klopex here and give you guys a second to kind of process what you're hearing here. I know of a Kopex, the monetary system in Russia. That's what he's talking about. No. <laughs> Clopex. These freaky <clears throat> creatures. That, see those guys? Remember from the Burbs? Oh, yeah, yeah. The they were the neighbors on the Burbs. Oh, yeah. But the, the Burbs? Yeah, do you remember this movie? It was totally. from the 80s. Yeah. I don't think I've seen this movie. Um, so it's... Uh, oh, the uh, Burbs. It's... Uh, yeah, dude. Like when he, when he opened the door and he was that color, yeah. it was so creepy. It looks. Um, trying to see if I got it. it looks like a leprechaun if he discovered oh, yeah, social the, media. That was the evil grandpa right there with the weird hair. Um, so Tom Hanks is in this movie from the '80s, and it's um, it's a uh, Corey Feldman. It lives across the street, and then there's this other like gray-haired, uh, uh, old uh, military vet type of guy that's a neighbor, and then there's this like. A uh, guy with a wife, a trunkier dude. It's just your average every day. He's got his button up, uh, you know, drinking on the weekends, dad. And they all get in Tom Hanks, right? And him, his wife, Carrie Fisher, is his wife. Oh. And right next door, there's this creepy dark house. And the owners of the Clopex are oh. trying to make friends with them. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay, it's it's, it's ringing a bell. The whole time. It turns into like Corey Feldman gets that as a girlfriend. He's like, dude, this neighborhood is the best. <laughs> and they're all just sitting outside of his own house saying, dude, it's something cool every time. Uh, the old guy down the street's dog is running loose and they find his hairpiece and he's missing. And uh, the one guy's like, dude, he's next door to Clopex in the basement, dude, every <laughs> night, dude. They're always bringing trash cans out and they. Turns into like a neighborhood investigation. Oh, it's the best, man. <laughs> Gotta watch that movie. And the Clopex, when they went into that creepy house and sat there and had to have and eat that dinner <laughs> and all the stuff, it's just 
it freaked me out. It it really like legitimately scared me at that it's, age. It sounds so familiar. I gotta rewatch that. What I about, think if if I've watched it ever, yeah, man. So I think I heard Wes Craven in an interview one time, <clears throat> and he's saying something like, "I can't really like I can really deeply scare you like on another level, but it'd be outside the like the parameters they got for making films, but." When you like to once just be like, turn him loose. I want to see that one. Like he's come, he's got some. I mean, Wes Craven is. Yeah, that's tops. He, he was one of the best. Tops. I mean, there's yeah. I mean, Stephen King. I feel like he deserves his his recognition every time you talk. Yeah. Like uh, one of my uh, uh, guys I work with uh, uh, that works with our company. He was a, a truck driver for a long time. Uh, he was the uh, the driver in Pet Cemetery. No way. So, like the truck driver, and from the original Pet Cemetery, he was the the guy behind the wheel of the truck in the movie, and so he goes to all the comic cons and all like some of the photo op events, you know, where Pet Cemetery and stuff is still highly, you know, and signs autographs and stuff. And uh, Pet Cemetery was was scary. Don't get me wrong. You go bury somebody in the cemetery, and it turns into real people. That's that was scary. That um, it was not as scary as Cat's Eye, though. I'm sorry, that was not as scary as Cat's Eye from Stephen King, that's, with the little yeah, evil yeah. troll guy <laughs> that came out from the wall and, and, and it disappeared, and he and he would be it, and he had that little tiny knife, and he would like point it at you, and he'd suck the breath out of you while you're asleep, and the cat was trying to save Drew your Barrymore. life, right? Yes, I love that film. <laughs> that's the one. I, um, that was my that was my movie. Pet, um, I, I watched P, um, pieces of uh, Pet Cemetery. Um, that movie, I sometimes I, um, I used to get it confused with another movie called uh, Pumpkinhead. And um, you guys seen Pumpkinhead before? Pumpkinhead, I've heard of Pumpkinhead. Oh, yeah. I think I know Pumpkinhead. I'm not a hundred percent, but a guy like uh, Barry's. I think his kid died, or got. Uh, I think his kid died, and he wants to bring his kid back to life so he buries him in forbidden burial grounds and he comes back as a monster and the first thing it does it goes after the people that killed him or by accident but i remember that one south park uh kind of makes fun of the uh, pumpkin head um uh, you guys remember that the that uh, there's like this um he appears once in a while this farmer who keeps on warning uh, the, the the adults in the movie uh, in the show about taking further action about something like don't bury a son there or uh, the uh, or t- <laughs> talks about the milkman. I don't know this one. I don't know. Anyway, like the, act it out for me. Give me give uh, me like a, give me one scene from Pumpkinhead or the or the so the example from uh, the what yeah, South Park was making fun of. Well, no, basically the uh, like. Uh, I think like the the most vivid memory of I have that, of that movie was uh, these so these people these like young these young adults were uh, basically driving wild out in the middle of the desert or in the plains uh-huh. just to have fun but they were near the guys the main character's property and his kid was walking about on the property and then they were didn't were watching the kid and. They uh, ran into the kid. I don't know. That guy's pumpkin head, that big old alien looking thing. Yeah, I think so. And whoa, that's what I like. Um, that looks creepy. That guy. They have a medication. Well, I think for that's that now. the. <laughs> I think there's a 
I think that's the kid who was raised from the piece? dead. You can see his piece in the bottom there. But I think that's the kid who was raised from the dead. I need to rewatch that movie. But anyways, that's a uh, uh, okay. Then uh, the other one that used to give me back in the day was Children of the Corn. Oh, that's a good one. Oh yeah, uh, that f- cornfields for a while there were not okay. <laughs> I didn't. It was just creepy, man. There was something about it. I I, I remember. I read this. I read the story, and I was. Um, I didn't really understand Stephen King's description or respect lack thereof of what exactly recited beneath the corn <laughs> but um even the movie didn't really make much sense of it but it was a good movie uh, it was basically you know we were talking about lord of flies a minute ago and <laughs> here you have children of the cord we have a dystopia <laughs> ruled by kids uh, based on supernatural fanaticism yeah <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys into Jeepers Creepers? Yeah, that was Dude, a good one. That's cool. Tapestry Jeepers Creepers death. got me, man. It yeah. was the first. It was good. I was. It was kind of like childlike. You know what I mean? It was had this like the way it was marketed. I felt like wasn't it more of a kids kind of horror? It did. Uh, it, it lived up and some. It was, I mean, it was gnarly. The, but, yeah. yeah. The end. The ending uh, really disturbed. I watched it as a. I watched it as a teenager. Yeah. The ending disturbed me be, uh, because of what the creature did at the very end. The screams alone of the character. Are are, are there any like Dracula? Okay, so Dracula is one of the first, right? <laughs> and he's had so many remakes. There's been Dracula after yeah. Dracula. What's the best Dracula? Like uh, in terms of like Oldman, yeah. Like I would say the the not the movie the the adaptation that closely captures Dracula is the um, Francis Ford Coppola one, the Gary Oldman one. Okay. Um, and none of the movies um, do they capture Dracula's description because if I remember correctly, in Dracula, which is largely an epistolary novel, it's just based on you know made up letters. Uh, by the characters talking about this mysterious count, um, the in every description uh, in the description of Dracula when he's in London, he's more looks like more of an old man than uh, this young charming count that's a vampire. But I mean, Gary, like I said, the one with Gary Oldman, Francis Ford Coppola, it's the best in terms of loyalty to the novel and capturing the. The horror wrapped up in this silk blanket of, of, um, of finesse, a finesseness of just eloquence of the late 18th century customs. I think that was it, it really captures the spirit of Dracula and the time period that it was set. Of course, it wasn't 100% loyal, but it was the most loyal of the of all the adaptations. Yeah. It was the Defoe one that was that was uh, with uh, Malkovich, John Malkovich? Oh, Shadow of the Vampire. I like that performance. Mm-hmm. It was epic. That's like a what one will call a, f- a f- uh, historical fantasy, like Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards or uh, or um, Django, because or uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because three glaciers. <laughs> when you. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> From the, the, when, he, when he asks for milk, right? Three glass glazes. Uh, well, no, um, what was her name? The Veronica Cornish? No, it was uh, um, 
Morning the stone. women, the woman that was in the basement that oh Shoshana, Shosh- the one that had the messed up leg. That oh she no, had to cast. Um, a Diane Kruger's character. Oh, um, Shoshana, that woman. Oh yeah, from the yeah with the with the three fingers. But that one, the Shoshana girl, the French from. I'm sorry, we're on Sh- Glorious Bastards, people. I'm so sorry. Is it uh, 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 Shoshana, the Jewish girl that ran away? The girl that ran away, like that beginning scene of Inglorious Bastards for me, was like I was about to stand up and clap at the theater when I first saw that first opening scene as she's running away and he like pulls the gun out. You know, and just pops it back in, you know, and then when when he sees her when they have that dinner. Well, you know, I got the chills when she had to sit. In, you know what I'm saying? Like after that happened in that history, man, that's one of my favorite movies probably that's ever made. Well, no, the, that scene, well, that scene was well made. It was like um, in the music timing was great when she realized that the guy that killed her family was literally standing right behind her. Um, uh, one thing, the only note I have. She's the hottest woman in the world, by the way. The actress who plays uh, Leas. No, no, no. That's uh, I think a different French actress. The little Nazi soldier that was chasing her around. That'd been me. Oh, <laughs> oh, the, um, the, yeah. oh the actor plays some Daniel Bruhl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The um, the one the thing, the only issue I had with the beginning was this uh, combination of Furelies with uh, spaghetti western music at the beginning. Oh, it was, dude, it was, it was, it was I didn't, it was I, so good, I didn't latch it onto made, that it part. Was all good, dude. Like they're German. Let's play Beethoven too. They're under the floorboards, <laughs> aren't they? Dude, wait. that that back and forth was. Mm. It diggled your daggle. It did, man. I love the dude that was out there chopping wood and come inside. He was all stone-faced, you know, and he was trying to keep it short and sweet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally he got him. He got him to break, you know what I mean? And, and when he got him to break and he caught like that. Mm. Well, I'll say this, though. That's it, why the ending's so good. The, the ending uh, was, the ending was. Uh, when they Nazi does his yeah, forehead. He, that was, for me, that was like full circle from the very beginning. Of the way he got, you know, how he tricked him. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, uh, Brad Pitt's character tricking him. I got you to turn in, but I still get to do what I get to do to you. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> no, no, and I want my scalps. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, he didn't get a scalp though. He did. He did card yeah, that swastika. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all my all my gaming names, you know, and stuff is like out of the Apache. Uh, like uh, you know, uh, a Hugo Stiglitz is my favorite. Uh, Fucking love Hugo Stiglitz. I love the um, the the one last thing I say about Inglorious Bastards. I love the 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 next card they had uh, the they put on Brad Pitt. Um, oh, when he yeah. looked like he was cut, you, sl- you look so good. Didn't it, it was like yeah. it, to me. This is like no no scar says this guy has been through. Yeah. Actual action than a scar. <laughs> That's probably my favorite role that he's ever been in, or over in the a, eye in a movie. Uh, oh, with a rapid. Yeah, Gorlami, Gorlami, Gorlami. <laughs> when they were drilling him in the movie theater. <laughs> As um, well, I was Dominic say, De Coco. <laughs> I was uh, I would say 
Well, Inglorious Bastards is not a obviously not a, a, a horror movie. Yeah, we we can, change the we whole can, episode title and everything. We're good. Oh yeah, exactly. No, I was gonna <laughs> well, say. Half I was, and half. Yeah. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. It could just say it's a horror movie to historic who for historical fanatics. Anyone yeah, totally. like this is, did not happen in history. <laughs> this is not accurate. Well, I mean, there was the bear Jew <laughs> in there, you know. And he was the golem. There's no golem. The golem. <laughs> the golem. Golem. But um, T, that movie Shadow of the Vampire, you were just like in Glorious Bastards. It's a, it's a historical fantasy. It's a. Um, Murnau did make uh, Nosferatu, and he didn't have permission by Bram Stoker, the writer of Dracula. But so he had to make up his own vampire. And that's the old version of that. Right. Yeah, the first uh, – it's a movie – it's a historical movie about the making of the first vampire movie. And there was uh, an actor named Max Schreck who plays um, Count Olaf, who was the first Count Dracula in, in cinema. Um, but, uh, Scott, have you seen the movie? Which one is it? Uh, Shadow of the Vampire? I don't think I have. No. Well, basically, the, the fantasy part comes in where the director, Murnau, who's played by Malkovich, he makes a deal with an actual vampire – to star as the vampire in the movie because he says, who can better play the vampire than an actual vampire? And Willem Dafoe plays the vampire who calls himself Max Shrek so that he can appear in the movie. And the director makes a deal. You appear in my movie. You do what I tell you and I'll let you basically have my film crew. Like uh, snags. Yeah. Oh. But Dafoe did awesome. And he deserved the Oscar that year. I've never seen no. I need to, this is one I need to watch. It's so worth it. Che is the the last voyage of the Demeter. Is that the same category kind of deal? Yeah, actually, it is. The in the in the Dracula not in the in the story Dracula when Dracula makes it a, from uh, from the Balkans all the way to England, he's on a boat called the Demeter, and he basically feasts on the sailors one at a time till they get to England and the captain of the ship I think he ties himself to the steering wheel or to the sorry uh, what's what's the word on the on the, on the ship the, the it can't the, be steering wheel it's no a, it's the uh, the um uh, what's, mat, no it's, I don't know what do they call it? what do they call it thing the big wheel yeah that's uh <laughs> To, steering wheel, not the, the thing that controls the rudder. Yeah, well, lost. We don't know. Well, for those who know their, uh, for those who know their naval steering wheel. The, for those who know the terminology, my apologies. The, but the captain tied himself to that. He was like the last victim to be eaten by Dracula, and so yeah, the vo- last voyage of the Demeter is basically a movie concentrated on all those sailors that gotten eaten by Dracula. Okay, now is it? Are you with the? He, he has to have soil from his native land and um, he can't stand over running water. Is all that stuff like ring well, a bell with you? Oh, yeah. The dip, the gypsies. Um, like Dracula will die if you stab him in the heart mm-hmm. or if he stands over running water, right? He ha- Yeah, and he has to sleep on soil if it's his land. So he hired and gypsies to – and to stay away from the sun. He hired gypsies to um, basically fill up crates – uh, with soil uh, from Transylvania, and he would basically sleep in those Transylvania uh, soil crates so that he can still travel while being in his own soil. Wow. 
That's a, I think they're just called ship wheels, bro. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a word yeah. for it. Like I'm on Amazon right now. I didn't mean to go here. I was like on Google and it just keep kicking can, and everything is saying ship wheel and I click on it and go, Oh, that's a ship wheel there yeah, too. I'm 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 no expert and and, and ships <laughs> try jibbing the job. Like sixty yeah. sixty five dollars for the for the for the sixty five bucks. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm sure there is a there, there is a word, a word the for it. Uh, not the the, hey, like, <laughs> back, back, butter. It, and back to the, the movie, uh, John Malkovich and William Dafoe, just as actors, they're so amazing. Like William they Dafoe are. is just, he's something else, man. He's he's just so good in his roles, man. He is. He's one of the he's one of the best uh, I, I've seen ever since uh, when I was a kid. Um, the first movie I saw him, I remember uh, he was um, the first movie I saw him in was Speed Two. You didn't see the one with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern? Was that before that? Nicolas Cage in the desert. Uh, no, I've, uh, I. Um, or maybe the, that. Well, the, the, it's cool you mentioned Nicolas Cage because Nicolas Cage produced Shadow of the Vampire, and he was saying in uh, in commentary, well, "I picked Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich to be in this movie because I work with jo- Nick- Willem Dafoe in this movie, the one you mentioned, and I work with John Malkovich and Con Air, and so I wanted them together in this movie." So, okay, <laughs> which is kind of cool. And I was like, "What is that movie that he's talking about?" And I couldn't find it. He he's just in so many movies. Speed two with the big smile he does. Like, <laughs> like, that just, it goes on and on and on. I mean, he like what does he do in his life? I think he just goes from one movie set to the other. Does he even live anywhere but a movie set? I mean, <laughs> you talking about you look, Nicolas, Nicolas Cage? No, uh, um, William Defoe. You want me to call him? When you go 2017, <laughs> there's one, two, three, four, five movies. 2017, 2016, one, two, three, four, five. Six That's movies. A lot. Yeah. Two thousand fourteen. One, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven movies. Two thousand thirteen. One, two, three, four, five, six, busy, seven, busy. eight movies. I mean, this guy's just putting out like multiple. Like, it's insane. The Boondock Saints was a big one that I, you know, have fond memories of. Them in Lost Boys, I gotta say, Lost Boys, and I gotta say, Phantom of the Paradise, dude. Did you catch that one with Lost Paul Boys Williams? Duce? Lost Boys? The Phantom of the Paradise? Is I don't think I've seen that one. Phantom of the Opera deal from the 70s with uh, Paul Williams? Nope, I can't say that I have. A little trivia nugget. But Lost Boys, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, what's, what's the trivia nugget? The one before that. Oh, I thought you were about to tell me a fun fact. <laughs> no, but pretend <laughs> I did. <laughs> that was impressive to you. I had Thanks, no man. idea. Um... Oh, I just remember what you called the the wheel. I think I know what you call the wheel. What the the, wheel? the helm? The helm. I think what it's the, the helm. helm. I think it's the helm. He's lost himself to the helm. I could still be wrong, but I'm, I'm, I'm going with the helm. Go. I'm gonna believe you. I'm gonna say helm, yeah. <laughs> helm, yeah. <laughs> Let's take a break on that. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Did you turn the rudder? Helm, yeah. <laughs>
because I write with my left hand. The Rudyard so, Kipling? The, the, the right ear is not hearing. I know, it's right ear. Uh, right ear. <laughs> right, uh, you're saying right here, right? Right on, mate. Oh, that can hear you. Perfect. Good? Yeah. Cool. I thought you said I said right here. <laughs> I thought he said right here. I'm gonna use some gummy eyeballs. <laughs> How do you like those those gummies? They're good, man. Uh, we are back from break. Um, we're going to uh, get into some more movie talk here with Mister Che and Thaddeus Maximus over here. Thank you. Indeed. Um, all right. Well, before break, we were where, where were we? Uh, we were talking about uh, the voyage of the Demeter, or we're talking about uh, Willem Dafoe. Inglorious Bastard. Willem Dafoe. God, he's the man. Uh, um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, we kind of dug into a little bit. Uh, we can quote all day. We started quoting <laughs> something out back here before we uh, came back on mic here. What were we talking about? Uh, well, and, um, well, other than Inglorious Bastards? No, yeah, right when we, we had a whole game plan. <laughs> We were, like, we're gonna come in. We talked we're, about everything. We, we, we kind of we did. <laughs> we, 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 I was, forgot everything that we, we talked about outside. We kind of we kind of uh, we kind of Horror. we kind of made full circle uh, historical fantasy. What are we talking about? Guys? I don't <laughs> now he's changed his demeter <laughs> to demeter voice of the demeter um you know um we we uh, we talked um you uh, you once asked uh you, you asked a question like uh how did these horror movie uh um, <clears throat> how did these horror, horror. horror uh stories uh become like a category you're saying that people once debated on their categorization people yeah. have People have been telling uh, ghost stories, uh, scary stories. Um, I, I think uh, even during the Romantic period, there was a, a famous story by a writer named Gregory Lewis called The Anaconda. Mm. And it's supposed to be a scary story about how these people are uh, uh, stuck with an anaconda on the property. And it, um, it it's, it's like basically that's the whole thing that the anaconda is a threat, man versus nature type. We have um, Anaconda is a threat. Unless your yeah, name it, is Frank. So what? Unless your name is Frank, and then you ride on anacondas. Frank Rob. Frank Rob. Oh, just Gator Frank. <laughs> Gator. Anaconda Frank. As, he, he rides as, on anacondas. He, no, uh, no, yeah. no. He actually has a tangle with it. Yeah, he's anaconda. like a little harness, and he gets on the back no. of him and ties him in. <laughs> Make sure he can't get spun around on. Oh, if J-Lo and Ice Cube had him. <laughs> yeah. I know how to handle this thing. <laughs> Frank knows a guy. Frank's awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, I haven't spoken to him. Uh, what it was like, last time I saw him was a few years ago. Yeah. Um, He's back. He'll be he'll be back um, beyond here this week, maybe later. I'd like yeah, to see him again. Thursday-ish. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk. Um, but, uh, uh, Talking about hand-me-down horror stories and what why they what they mean to us humans. Yeah, the uh, like this take for example, Frankenstein, one of the greatest examples of the horror story. It all started as a bet between Mary Shelley and uh, her uh, her her friend Lord Byron, mm-hmm. and Lord Byron said that I bet you can write a ghost story, and she says I bet I can, and so she writes Frankenstein. 
thing is her husband, Percy Shelley, tried to convince her to publish it as the modern Prometheus because, yes, she wrote a story that's scary, but like any responsible storyteller, she wants to teach a lesson in her story Mm -hmm. to teach the conflicts between man and God to put man in God's shoes for Mm -hmm. a second to give life to something and then uh, to not be there for that life. And then should man or should this God assume responsibility for whatever the creation has done? Mm. It was an excellent, um, it was an excellent uh, lesson because during this time, the romantic period, people were questioning not religion itself, but the authority on which religion has hold held over people, not so much questioning the existence of God. They're questioning whether or not, um, you know, are we really to blame for our sins? What makes a human to err as human? But are we, we are responsible for our actions. But if there is a God, says so if there's a God, is he not also responsible for our actions? Yeah. Um, Mary Shelley wanted to call it Frankenstein. Her husband says modern Prometheus. So the original publication, I think, has both Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Her husband, Percy Shelley, even wrote a play called Prometheus Unbound, which made Zeus the antagonist mm. and Prometheus the hero because he challenged authority to say, we deserve innovation. We deserve to be free, to be innovative. Mm. Um, which is, is that Percy? You said Percy, Percy Shelley, Percy Bliss Shelley, is it Percy Jackson. The movie is that based on <laughs> per- Percy Zeus's son? Uh, and a per- uh, Percy, a Percy Jackson in the series is short for Perseus in that case, or like yep. it's uh, yeah, because I watched that movie, Percy, uh, uh, that kid, <laughs> and uh, they had that little school for all the gods' sons. Mm-hmm. All the, the sons, and they all had, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that movie was great. Bro, I, I like that movie. <laughs> The novel course was better, but it was I'm good. T- I'm tying your uh, eloquently said <laughs> perspective well, with Percy Jackson but, movies. But you're you're tell, you're that's no, okay. It's for like hey, remember uh, you're talking to us of how awesome the foundation was the the show oh, the foundation. So good. But I'm still working on Paw Patrol. You, <laughs> that's, true, that's true. That's just joking. I'm also there, like I'm also there, fluffing up like foundation on how big it is, and he responds like, "Yeah, I'm still trying to get through Paw Patrol." It's a, it's a puppy in a helicopter. Come on, you can't beat that. No, I don't, I don't watch. Oh my god, it's so good. Um, um, I was gonna also interject real quick, and yeah. I'm going to uh, uh, shine a, a a goofy light. On what you're saying, uh, so many things that are written um, for public consumption, you know, they ha- it has to draw at you uh, emotionally in some way, right? Either it's like a a, a happy emotion, a, a caring, uh, a curious, uh, a scary. You know, it's all emotion. I mean, that's the whole point, right? It's entertainment. We're trying to entertain people and make them want to watch this. And when you start with Universal Monsters. Uh, you get these first people that are like, we're going to make monsters and we're going to make them, you know, do this. And it's going to be like a story. It's going to be beautiful. You're going to have fear and beauty all in the same. You get movies like Beauty of the Beast that come. So you get all, I mean, years and years and just every year, hundreds and thousands of movies are being made. Repeated formulas. That are within all of this uh, 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 scary genre. But then, then, all of a sudden, 
the TV series comes out, and it puts it all into one. All into one. And it's the, one of the best series ever made. Um, the Winchester Brothers. I heard of it. Um, <laughs> were a part of this, you know? So Samuel Colt is a part of this. A God is a part of this. Every creature that's ever, whether whatever you are, <coughs> you have been in this series. And women and men like me all across the world <coughs> now go to uh, uh, Comic Cons or little shows <laughs> to see these people and take pictures with it. Supernatural. The TV series Supernatural. It's got like 19 seasons. They have tackled every single, you know, really? uh, monster or, or fairy tale or ghost. It, it dove into God, you know, in the later series. And then you're dealing with angels and, and, and it's the winch. So you got Samuel Colt. You got like real people that are kind of uh, uh, written into this story as well. But the reason, the reason I'm bringing it up is like it's uh, that series tackles every single one of these monsters, ghost stories, wise tales. It gives you the history. It's really kind of cool. But at the same time, it's writing in the feel-good story of two brothers that, you know, their mother was taken from them. It pulls at the heartstrings of that, too. So even within them talking about all of these different horror stories, it's all written in the same kind of way. I like to. I, th- I heard of supernatural. I'd like to see it now that, now that you explain it that way. I would like to see it. It's uh, uh everybody makes fun. Like all my friend, like friends <laughs> at work. <laughs> like you watch what? <laughs> Said nineteen seasons. Oh man, it's a lot. lot. There's um, if I may, there's there's a show. I haven't seen it this one either, but I hear like from my friends who watch it that incorporates um, famous uh famous uh, elements of uh, horror stero- storytelling or yeah. of uh, supernatural story- storytelling, like, um, uh, oh, come on, wait, I forget his name, uh, like um, Dorian Gray or um, most mainly famous uh, late 19th century um, literature references. is called mm-hmm. uh, Penny Dreadful. Oh, I watched that. Uh, that was really good. Yes, very similar. Pe- Pe- Eva Green. Yep, Eva Green from uh, the OMG Casino yeah, Royale. Cool. Let's put her on the top of the food chain list of <laughs> women. I, have you seen her in uh, Kingdom of Heaven? I saw her in Kingdom in he- of Heaven, and I also saw her in uh, the Three Hundred, the second one. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, she, posted, uh, she goes, "Yep, yep, 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 yep." Seen yep. it. Uh, what about uh, <laughs> have you <laughs> have you yeah. have you seen her in um? um uh, Dark Shadows. Yes, I have. She does, she does a good job that in that cool, one. Yeah, man, oh she's God. so pretty. It's the eyes, man. Was well, um you have a uh, Apple TV? Yes. Uh, oh uh, yeah, of course you have the foundation. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a show. Uh, I think it's a miniseries with her and Vincent Cassell. Um, uh, and she has, and she speaks French in this. She uh, I think she's from France. Uh, Dickinson. Oh, no, um, it's I forgot the title. But it's Evergreen and Vincent Cassell. Um, let's see. I'm not sure. That's a good. M Night Shyamalan has been doing a lot in here. Yeah, I'm not sure. 
That's it's uh, hey, let, let, let me let me look it up real quick. The uh, the foundation though, like man, it's been fantastic. It's all sci fi, so that'll be for another episode, I'm sure. Uh, cause I, if you guys get caught up on that, this is the foundation is something that only me and my friend Jared at, at work, uh, he's the only other person I can talk to about it because he's a huge you know fan as well. And today it was awesome because we just watched the second to the uh, the finales this coming Friday. And it's such a slow series. The first two seasons, it's like, man, it's kind of like Game of Thrones when it has a couple full seasons where you're like, not a lot happened. I feel like it's it's got so much to set up because the foundation is based off of mathematics. And uh, uh, having a mathematic, uh, I can see the end of what's going to happen here through mathematics. Interesting. And, and uh, that I it's like the that. empire uh, uh, that does not want mathematics to overcome their power and their reign. So it's mathematics versus the power of this empire. But empire, it's uh, dawn, day, and dusk. So it's three versions of the same person. They're clones. I remember that. There's one Cleon, Cleon the first, figured out how to clone to make himself live forever. And so from that first Cleon, now it's a, a child Cleon. Then there's a middle-aged Cleon, and then there's an old Cleon. Hmm. And the Cleons, they, I'm not going to say anything more, but they are in power. And this one Harry Seldon guy is a mathematical genius, you know, and he figured it out, came to them and said, y'all are about to go down. And now it's the battle between who's right and who's wrong. Interesting. And, and it's, you know, that's what Star Wars, everything about Star Wars, well, how it's been created, the ideas, Imperials, a lot of the terminology. When you watch Foundation, you're going to go, wait a minute. <laughs> like, because George Lucas, you know, openly says, all of my inspiration for Star Wars is from this series. Well, so they couldn't make it back then. So in essence, in essence, uh, Star Wars was inspired by Asimov. Yes, hundred percent. Uh, and that's the thing. Like, I'll, I'll be off. Uh, so far, I'm very picky about my sci-fi. Um, I like H.G. Wells's type of sci-fi, but mm. I also like. Um, I'm like I said, like I like Star Wars. I like Star Trek. Um, I even like Predator. Um, oh man! And, I mean, those are some. I mean, Predator is that a horror, sci-fi horror, horror adventure uh, thriller? Okay. Uh, I mean, because that was gnarly, man. But I remember my grandfather. He got he gave me a book on uh, Asimov's. Uh, he got it's iRobot. He got me the book iRobot, okay. which is uh, just it's a compilation of robot stories. Yeah, and. Um, I got. I fell in love with Asimov. His he is really good at describing things, um, to, almost as good as H.G. Wells. Okay. But he, like I said, there's there is mathematics in his logic of in his style of writing. It's a math. He thinks mathematically yeah. in his writing, and that's the only reason why I'd watch the Foundation. Just because yeah. if it's Asim, if it's if it has Asimov's footprints all over this. Well, and they wanted to make this years ago. They wanted to make that series. And that the special effects for what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do it could not match up to the technology at the time. Uh, they spent a lot of money on this series. Like billions. And it shows, uh, I will warn you, it's very slow at first. It's very slow, but once it kind of gets going, 
when Jared walked in, uh, we, we <laughs> watched uh, you know last episode. Go, yeah, he goes, it's finally getting good. Like we're finally getting <laughs> excited because it's finally starting to get some real. Act- we're starting to get some answers that we've been asking since the first season, first couple episodes. Some of that stuff is finally coming to be. I guess they're talking about it being up to eight seasons. Well, I saw that when I came in. I saw you were watching that episode. And I was, oh man! It, you know, it kind of reminds me of At- Atlas Shrugged, and okay, be- uh, because that's um, the uh, Ayn Rand novel. It was her attempt at sci-fi. Wow! And of course, Ayn Rand is known for writing literature that's critical of collective societies. Well, and. Go ahead. Keep going. No, no, no. And I just saw the way how that um, the what uh, I'm sorry because I haven't seen it. Who's that? Who's that? Um, he had like a disfigured face. He was uh, making a speech at the center. He was like short. He uh, he was making a speech about the uh, like the importance of this. Uh, um, uh, what are the imperial notions? Mm. It really sparked something of what uh, the typical antagonistic collective society in an Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand novel would say. I was like. Is this Asimov or just a, a loose version of Ayn Rand that you educated me on the subject? This, this is one little section that I think you'll uh, you'll dig. Is uh, part of in this series. Now we've just totally changed over to this series because it's so good. I'm sorry, guys. So good. Um, the foundation, the dawn or dusk. I'm sorry, or dawn. Uh, your your older guy, right? He's uh his he's lived his life of being empire, uh, his job like there's jobs you have the young you know your dusk he's uh being taught you know they're at dinner every night eating all just them three together, uh discussing the day discussing you know the times what's happened, uh there's if some, one of them dies I won't tell you what happens but it's weird, um, but. What he does, his job as 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 Don, is to tell the story of his life by using art and by using these paints and these colors, and they paint it on the wall and it creates the story and it kind of moves and stuff. But he spends his days just drawing and adding to the big mural in their empire that people can walk for days and talk about, oh, this is when that happened. That's when this happened. That's when this, it's like in a visual way, they're telling the story for their society, but it's Don's job, the actual person themselves to, to tell and write the story that happened themselves. Hmm. It's really interesting. It's, it's uh, the way they tell it and the way it shows, because it lets them walk and reflect on that and like memories and things come back because of that. It's really interesting. It is. It's uh, um, the fact that one person is tasked to um, t- uh, to present the history that uh, the people are to know, and yeah. that um, it's um, not to make another reference of uh, 1980. Uh, the George Orwell's novel, 1984, main character, his job was to find new ways to limit speech, mm-hmm. uh, which they called new speak. Uh, not to say that this character is changing the history, but very interesting that you know in these sci-fi novels or in these sci-fi series whenever we look at the future we always usually come back to a a society that's more restrictive and the yeah. and access to the past has always been under the under uh, under a rigid control 
by those on top. Now, we, one can say, well, that's happening right now. The textbooks in schools are uh, subjective, but these sci-fi stories that I've been reading are way more yeah. rigid, and it's really interesting how those who have who have conceived these notions of a more dyst- that the future's more dystopian, which I think um, is not that uh, is not far out as is very possible. Oh yeah, is, uh, sometimes I feel we're heading that way, mm-hmm. um, but um, my point is is that. These notions of limited freedom, it always ends up with one common theme, and that is the fault of the fault in our humanity. Mm-hmm. It comes in the mistakes of the past bring the consequences of the future. Now Wong will say, yeah. duh. Big but, yeah. The, but like think of like H. G. Wells as a time machine into the future where it's just People are herded as livestock to be eaten by the uh, oh come on what did I forgot the the Morlocks yeah. these just bestial types of beings that you know feed on actual people and H.G. Wells was a was a socialist he was a Fabian he was a special type of socialist so I can get into details later mm-hmm. but it's all about you know how we basically go to war with each other so much that we relegate or we send ourselves ourselves back to a stone age type period. And now foundation or 1984 is nothing like that. But, you know, if you read um, Ayn Rand's uh, Chronicle, uh, people have done that where a collective society will not let people know anything of the past. Main character discovers electricity. No, that's from the past. You shouldn't shame on you. And mm-hmm. he leaves the society because, no, I want to learn more. And he separates from himself. But with um, but with every uh, sci-fi novel, the or not every sci-fi novel, with these series, even the most popular ones, always shows that um, it always ends up with a ragtag group of people or the struggling individual mm-hmm. that tackles with conscience and action on dealing with the current situation and reflecting on how things have been in the past. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's going at our nature to keep our attention, right? It's, uh, it's something that, uh, like, like power is a crazy thing, mm-hmm. you know? And, and like a lot of these movies, uh, a lot of these things are meant to take our attention. There's so many people, right? There's so many minds that uh, a society is going to try to turn into like, okay, one mindset. We all need to be one here. We all need to think together, to work together, because it makes us all more powerful. And anybody that goes against that, you know, uh, an outlier, like sometimes he's a hero yeah. in, in society, and sometimes he's the ant, you know, the 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 worst thing. You know, he's uh, what's wrong with everything. And uh, I mean, us as humanity, we don't usually learn from our mistakes, and there's some mistakes that we learn from. Like if you go through history and see the the overtures of, um, okay, we're going to have this war right here because we want to be free, you know, because these people are coming to, to, uh, take our women and do, you know, all of these, you know, that story, that story is being written as a part of history. That story is being told from history yet. We're living right now and we've been told and written about in movies and in plays and, 
and you name it, and yet we're still trying to all kill each other. You know what I mean? Just because we think differently or we act differently. Um, you know, today's September 11th. Oh, yeah. Know, uh, right now in society, you have people that believe that that's, we did that to ourselves or that we enabled that. Then you have the reality of probably what happened. Then there's a million different versions out there. And that webbing and that create, like someone makes a movie, like right now, back in the day, I mean, that was like, okay, this is just entertainment to take my mind off the bad things. Uh, it's a propaganda tool at the same time. And now it's it's taken the trust of people, that purity of entertainment has taken the trust of people. And now every time they watch something, they go, are, are they trying to manipulate me to think this way? Is this, uh, uh, or is this just your own like natural way of trying to make me uh, think about uh, something that's bad in the world? Like everything's got a, a, a narrative or a, a something now. And, and that's, and that's, I'm sorry, but that's a perfect segue for the solution. Scienza potenza est. Knowledge is power. Mm. I said it Latin because it makes us look smarter. No, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> knowledge is power. You, hey, can you say that real quick? Ego sum weirdo. <laughs> yes. Ego sum weirdo. I'm a weird. Ego sum weird. Oh, weird. There you go. Uh, Gorlami. I'm, I'm a weirdo. I'm yeah. a, no, no, weird means man. Right, right. And so ego sum weird. I'm a man. Riverdirchi. Riverdirchi. All the rain. Yeah, yeah. Riverdirchi. Yeah. Buongiorno. Gorlami. The Riverdirchi. <laughs> Sorry, so they get they get back they get back. You say you know if people are folk, uh, when when dealing with the polit- political nature of it, who did what, who is to blame, what really happened? It's the duty of every citizen to undertake matters at their own hands and finding the truth. Now, I'm not saying you know to take up arms, but to research for yourself which outlets are telling you the truth and which are not. Therein lies the power. I mean, look at H. Sorry to bring him back. <laughs> look at H. Wells. The theme on almost every of his novels: Invisible Man, Time Machine, Doctor Doctor Moreau, um, uh, even War of the Worlds. Knowledge is power. How will knowledge be used between species or or between people amongst each other? Are we going to use it for good, like the time traveler did? Are we going to use it for bad, what Holly Griffin did in The Invisible Man, uh, or what Dr. Moreau does with his obsession with vivisection and interchanging species? How are we going to react when, in the face of a tragedy, we want to know truth and we should know, we should know, um, we shouldn't know what facts are beneath it. But on the other hand, how much are we going to let our emotions to blind us or to distract us from seeking the truth. In other words, don't let your, don't cherry pick what information coincides with your emotions. And it's a tricky thing because there's such a spectrum, you know, I mean, there's life experience is such a spectrum within itself. So getting a, a, a reaction or an under a mutual understanding, uh, is, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, a mathematical equation that has not been solved. It's, it's, um, I think one person once told me mathematics is the link. Is it someone told me or I read it? I've heard it somewhere. Mathematicals is the link. Mathematics is the language of certainty. Yeah. Um, and like, 
what uh, I remember how I spoke with a colleague, I, colleague. I said, no, mathematics is the most important fundamental in learning. And she said, no, reading is. But then again, mathematics, it's in itself a form of reading. It's its own. It's a different approach. It's a not even approach. It's a different form of reading. Reading yeah. of numbers. I get the, a big fat F in that one because my brain don't, brain don't commute, uh, compute math like that. So it's it's hard to. That's my, not yeah, my, my brain language. doesn't either. Some people like can can go multiple layers. Like I'm sitting here talking to my buddy Jared sometimes, and he'll start doing some math equation in his head to break down something to a certain level, and it's like while he's sitting there already at the answer level, I'm sitting here trying to calculate in my head how he got that number so <laughs> yeah. quickly. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's just I never. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I need a thad because. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot to think about, though, man. Hey, but you're you're trying to get to a nugget, and you know, probability of things getting shitty better. Maybe some two cents from T, like uh, tip the scales with little baby steps of like good vibes, encouragement, patience, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway. But Be, being okay with someone thinking and acting and no, 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 different than you. And as you, um, well, like that, that's it to, um, to, um, you know, take a few baby steps in education. We call that uh scaffolding. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. easy. I just, you Makes know, sense. if you don't get the big picture, let me walk you through it. It's going to mm-hmm. take a while, but we'll get you through it. Exactly. Everyone at their own pace, of course. Yeah. Um, it demonstrates how much the person who wants to learn is willing to learn. How far are they willing to learn? How far are they willing to say that's enough for me? I don't care to get to the core of the subject. What if you're a vampire? How does that all weigh in? Oh, as long as there's no light in Boulder garlic. Right. No, <laughs> that uh, um, you know, silver. If you're a werewolf, here's a good example. Uh, here's a good example. T the so. To go back to Bram, Stoke, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola one with the one with Gary Oldman, um, I remember when I saw that movie as a kid, I was like, hey, that's not Dracula. My parents said, yes, he is. Like, no, he's walking in daylight. <laughs> Vampires can't walk in daylight. Gary Oldman's walking in daylight, flirting <laughs> with one on the rider. And then she's, and so I rewatched the movie, and apparently uh, Anthony Hopkins, who's the Van Helsing, uh, an Orthodox priest, and apparently the narrator, I think he's a narrator. He says, contrary to popular belief, vampires can actually walk in daylight. Like, oh, how convenient. Yeah. But we talk about we talk about walking through language. Yeah. Or you got Daywalker in Blade, which that's is true. That's, that's a, true. Daywalk. He's got some he was born right at the that's right true. time as the juices he, were great. Just but, right. Oh yeah, he also uh, light juices. Well 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 Billy is a half vampire, I believe. I th- well, I, uh, before a, a Marvel fan comes contradicts. I mean, you guys are missing one of the best <laughs> vampire movies. I mean, we haven't even mentioned it. I mean, it's my friend Jared. He had the books growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twilight. <laughs> sorry, Jared. I've seen it. Not no, sorry. Uh, I, I I read some. I, I read. It's not. It's they're not bad books. I was thinking of the movies. Jared, uh, his sister had the books, and we like. <laughs> I I actually watched. They made fun of me. I watched Twilight. <laughs> Like all of them, <laughs> and, and it wasn't because I just like thought it was, they were so good. It's just I watched the first one, and then I'm like, I'll watch the next one. I'll watch them, but it wasn't like I was at the theater watching all these. Like I was Lord of the Rings and anything you know else that was actually. Cool. But like I didn't dislike them. I didn't think they were horrible. But I was cheesy, romancy. Yeah, you know, you had a werewolf. That's uh, the Indian guys or the wolves. <laughs> 
and you got all these pale white guys they're the vampires and there's inner love right with a wolf and a vampire and it's like yep. old I mean, European connections, right, Che? There's some super duper love, like the vampires sparkle like diamonds in the oh, sun, yeah. in, the, in the sunlight. Well, the thing is, um, uh, I think Suzanne, I uh, know, uh, what's, uh, what's the name of the writer? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, I think it's, no. Uh, That's where it's at. The, I think, <laughs> to me, I think the story wasn't bad. Did you uh, cry? Did you cry? No. <laughs> Did you? What? Did you cry? No. T, did you cry during Twilight? No. I, <laughs> I, 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 I watched the first Twilight. I wasn't really interested in the sequels with respect to the actors and filmmakers and all that. But I and I tried to re- and I read the first book. No. To me, I felt the romance kind of ruined it. I mean, I understand the romance is an important part of the book, but I felt it was way too much romance and not Jared enough. Thought, Jared thought the same thing. Uh, <laughs> hey, he's gonna hate me for this. It, yeah, it had that that uh, genre vibe, that heavy like it was um, super romance lovey, dipped in yeah. sugar. Like totally. think think of like, like uh, those big thick paperbacks that old moms <laughs> read like intensely. Yeah, uh, I back had, in the day, Harlequin. Yeah, I had friends who loved the Anne Rice vampire books, uh, mm. and I used to think. Uh, the, I thought like the only vampire book I said the only vampire book to me that matters is Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula, but of course I was not that educated because I was unwilling to read Anne Rice. So I read Anne Rice's work, pretty good. She's really good, uh, and uh, with descriptive languages, she's really good at storytelling. I definitely recommend if someone has a has uh, likes to read vampire uh, fiction other than Bram Stoker, definitely. And right, there's a reason why she's popular. She's damn good. But um, I will say that you guys um, made a point about, um, what was it? Uh, South Park. No, not South Park. Um, I don't even hear the word South Park. Dr. Mopesto and the eight ass swine. Yep. <laughs> no, I'll take it. I ring uh, a bell, bro. I'll take it. Before I forget the thought, before I forget the thought, uh, real quick. Um, come on. Come on. What was it? Um, Vampire movie. Vampire movie. Um, Talking about the books, Bram Stro- uh, uh, Stoker's talking, book was great. That's the best one. Book. But, but um, nah, the, basically, it's. Um, I don't think anyone should be discouraged from reading it. I mean, I wasn't a fan of it. I didn't think the movie did it justice. But you know, people are like reading about vampires and werewolves on that. Yep. By, by all means, but take a look. Maybe. You can uh, give us a. I don't know. Are you excited about any new sci-fi horror kind of things coming up? Yeah, Dune. Dune for sci-fi. I like Dune. Uh, that that preview looked pretty pretty good. Uh, I, I liked it. I wasn't a fan of Dune until my cousin persuaded me to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just because I think my uh, my cousin likes. Uh, Did Timothy you watch Chalamet. the old Dunes? I the other thing, she asked me to watch the new Doom. I said nope. I'm gonna watch the old one. I didn't even read the novels, but yeah, the Atreides and all this and and I uh, uh, the Dune is is okay. My friend Brad, uh, back when we ran like track and cross country down War Eagle, like he uh, after practice sometimes we'd run uh, we'd go down to his house and his dad had this cool computer room set up with like a little like a color. Like yeah. the first color computers that you had the little floppy drive that you pop in and it's got a game that. on it. And one of the games was Dune. 
and it's where you just like you have these silos and you're getting these silos to fill up and you're bringing it back and then when you fill up some stuff you can buy and build like your spice you know yeah get all your spice and then you build your you know your silos and your you know more people to help you fight and you got to be either be a tradies like the three different kinds you get to pick which one you're going to be and uh we played that game for hours I had no idea what it was, why it was there, what the game was, the story that there was a book about it, or none of that stuff. I didn't know anything. That game was fun. The movie came out like it was like in the eighties or nineties or something. With the the, the, the um, David Lynch version, stupidest movie. Could not watch it. Was not entertaining. <laughs> Is that the Sting and Ernest Borgnine? Yeah. I'll kill you. <laughs> like, and then so. I just was done with Dune, right? And then this This last one that they did, where they really put some money into it, they have a good cat. I like that Zenato girl. Zendaya. Zendaya. Yeah. Uh, uh, She's in some stuff on HBO, that Euphoria and everything. She's just so good. I like her a lot. Uh, I liked liked the way they wrote the story and, and the effects. Like, it was really well done. So this next one, I'm looking forward to watching it personally. I think the fact that they, they take time, um, I think the time, the fact that they took time to make two series uh, shows that they want to be dedicated to the plot. Yeah. And they're pretty dedicated. And I think, I mean, first of all, I have to give credit to the original dude. It was, it was, it was, uh, it looked like a mess, but I think they did a pretty good job yeah. trying to adapt an epic sci-fi yeah. novel, which that's what it was, an epic sci-fi novel. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, it would they try to condense so much mm. to me, like he started rushing things after the Atreides were betrayed. Yeah. After that, they tried to rush it, which is understandable. Um, but I am after I saw the first one, I was like, all right, now let's watch the the the, uh, the Timothy Chalamet version, <laughs> yeah. which was a good it was real. It went really deep into the Atreides uh, into actually everyone's character build up for the most part. Cool one, man. I liked it. So I can't wait to watch it. Um, you asked which horror movie I I seen recently. I saw The Pope's Exorcist with Russell Crowe. How was it? Well, I only watched it because I love Russell Crowe, yeah. but <laughs> I'm not a fan of I, Exorcist movies. Make me laugh for some reason. They're, They're just like. It, it is the same song and dance every time. Bring me the priest. That's I mean, the, there, there's one good one. This is the end. Uh, uh, Jonah Hill played a really good version of this exorcism. Oh, thing. I like that one. Yeah. Oh, I heard yeah. that movie. This is the end. I'll so just funny. leave. I'm just going to, you know, we're going to end this episode. I'm just going to leave that cliffhanger. <laughs> Go watch Jonah Hill uh, and do his exorcism theme on this is the end. I won't tell you what happens. But, but um, one uh if I could uh, throw in one recommendation oh, yeah. for horror movies, I wouldn't say it's the, the scariest movie, but I would say it's the greatest haunted house movie I've ever seen. And I read the book. Um, Shirley Jackson, who is one of the people who has inspired Stephen King, wrote a uh, – you surely you've heard of it, The Haunting of Hill House. Yes, I've heard of that. Um, she wrote a book. They made uh, two movie adaptations of it and a Netflix series on it. The series is not that loyal. It's not loyal to the novel, but it does a great job with its own interpretation. Is it better than House of a Thousand Corpses? To me, uh, to me, it's way better than a House. Are there prettier women in it? It you're you are you will not see. Zombie's wife is hot. Is it better than Silent Hill? <laughs> it's uh, well. Here's the deal: you will not see gore. You will not see too many supernatural 
idea uh, too much. Uh, but to me, the the, the thing about the, where Shirley Jackson captures the heart of horror, it lies in the psychological nature of the characters. One of the characters has psychological issues, and she's in the house. The, the thing about it is, was the house really haunted or was it all in our minds? Was mm-hmm. the notion of horror, the store, the house's backstory, the, was it the house that was some spiritual entity that tormented its, its inhabitants? Or was was there something – was there an issue? Uh, give you two great examples before I wrap up. Mm-hmm. One, when they're sleeping, they keep on hearing loud bangings at the door, but there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't know – but again, was there law banging or was that something within the minds of the inhabitants? Another one is uh, video recording, audio recording. Yep. The, the main character and uh, one of the women that was living in the house, they were sharing a bed. And I think I think in the scene they were sharing a bed, but when she was sleeping, she felt a cold hand touch her. And she tells the uh, the other uh, girl, please stop or let go or something. She turned around and she wasn't touching her at all. She mm. felt a cold hand touching her. But again... This is the essence of horror it, to determine whether to a good horror story. It's not about shock value. I mean, kind of shock value. The shock value has to reside on how we perceive it to drive it. How we perceive it is the is the element that drives us to our seats. Because sure. it Definitely. would give you great anxiety to not know if it was in your head or under your bed. No doubt. Right? Because we ask what makes a good horror story or what is truth. And we want to be informed of ourselves. Yeah, horror man. puts us in that maze of emotions. Horror. Exactly. So. Halloween's coming up, fellas. Can't wait. Um, guys, thank y'all for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, you Scott. Awesome logistic rules. Oh, yeah. Shout out <laughs> to um, yeah, shout Chris Vandeviver from Y Logic Pro Rules. Got these cool coffee. Dude, these cups. coffee mugs are awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, check it out. And I got gummy, uh, gummy eyeballs that kind of <laughs> were the shape of gummy boobs. Dark chocolate on I will strawberries. Think of them as gummy boobs. Okay. Personally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you guys um, like episode one seventy six. You did a great job throwing the ball today. Thank you, Scott. The, do- the dogs are exercised. <laughs> they uh, wound them down. Very happy. <laughs> uh, he's been throwing dogs off of him for an hour. <laughs> It's like every two minutes, a different dog. <laughs> that, they love him, though. Um, uh, Trey, thanks for joining us, man. Thank you, Scott. Thank, thank you for inviting always, me. Man. Thanks for taking the right. time out. I know you're busy, so thanks for coming and hanging. Super thankful. Yeah, yeah man. Um, until next time, you. we out. Stay out. Daisies in a tube top, screaming from the top of her lungs. This all ends tonight. Screaming from the top of her lungs This all ends tonight Just kill her. Oh, dude, that was awesome.